Would you please pray with me? Oh, sovereign Lord, all you do is just and good. All your commandments are trustworthy. They are forever true to be obeyed faithfully and with integrity. You have paid a full ransom for your people and guaranteed your covenant with them forever. What a holy, awe-inspiring name that you have. Oh, Father God, I pray that you would open our heart eyes to see your glory in the doctrine of covenants. I pray that you would fill our souls with the truth that you long to dwell with us, to be our God as we are your people. So I pray that you would use me, your humble servant, to speak your words to your people. This I ask in the wonderful name of Jesus Christ our Lord and Savior. Amen. How easily is your trust in God shaken? Would you say that you have an unshakable or a shakable trust in him? I mean, is it shakable or unbreakable? Do you really trust God when life seems too hard, too unsure, or too heartbreaking. The clear teaching of the Bible is that God is a trustworthy God. From Genesis to Revelation, God makes and fulfills his promises. He is unerringly trustworthy. Yet God's people often fail to trust him. Even the heroes of the Bible like Noah, Abraham, David, Moses, they failed to trust God. In the hard times, they doubted and questioned God. In the good times, they became complacent. And in all times, the default mode of the people that they lived among and led was sinful rebellion and stiff-necked disobedience. In vivid contrast shines God's trustworthiness to all his promises these promises are most spectacularly bound up in the covenants that God made with his people. Covenants, they bookend the Bible. They're there at the beginning, they're there at the end, and they're threaded all throughout the Bible. Our God is a covenant-making, covenant-keeping God. So you and I must understand what the Bible teaches about covenants. Why does God make and keep covenant with his people? Well, the answer is found in a phrase that should make our souls light up. I will be their God, and they will be my people. This phrase appears throughout the Bible, and it speaks of covenant. It's covenant language. God wants to dwell with his people. He employs covenants to do so. The Bible most clearly under, is most clearly understood when we understand God's covenants with his people. This is one reason that our church interprets scripture through the lens of covenant. This is known as covenant theology. Covenant theology is an interpretive grid for understanding scripture. It views the entire story of redemptive history as God's unfolding of his eternal covenant of redemption through his covenant of grace. 
Covenant theology brilliantly keeps our beautiful Savior, Jesus, at the center of all Scripture, from the Old Testament's promise of Christ to the New Testament's fulfillment in Christ. In an extravagant act of love, God initiates covenant with the people of his own sovereign choosing. As we learned in Ephesians chapter 1, in Christ, God chose his inheritance, his covenant people. In this lesson, we will trace God's sovereign choosing of his people through Noah, Abraham, Moses, and David, culminating in Jesus Christ, God's promised Redeemer. God has been and is working out his plan of redemption, and he will not stop until every one of his covenant promises has been fully fulfilled. You and I can trust him. He is fully trustworthy. As we work through this lesson, look for how God's enduring covenant promises prove he is trustworthy. That is the truth we'll look at as we look at the doctrine of covenants in two divisions, covenantal foundations and covenantal fulfillment. So that first division, covenantal foundations. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, a man named Abram is sovereignly plucked out of a, of a place called Ur to journey with God to a land he promised to give him. Following his command to Abram to go, God repeatedly says, I will. He says, go to the land I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you and make your name great. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who dishonor you. Do you hear the grace in God's I will statements? Notice there are no you wills. This is unconditional. This is the grace, covenant of grace, a pivotal point in redemption history. God establishes a covenant people for himself, beginning with Abraham and his descendants, eventually climaxing in Jesus Christ, who is the true seed of Abraham. He would bring salvation into the world. But long, long before Abraham, God established two other covenants, the covenant of redemption and the covenant of works. So first, the covenant of redemption. Of this covenant, one pastor writes, the covenant of redemption is the origin and firm foundation of the covenant of grace. Without it, there would be no election, no incarnation of the Son, no cross, no resurrection, and no promise of heaven. In short, there would be no salvation of sinners. The covenant of redemption is not a covenant between God and humans. It is a covenant between the persons of the Godhead, the Trinity. God the Father planned to send God the Son to redeem mankind out of their bondage to sin before man was even created. Don't miss that. The eternal, omniscient God always, always has had a plan to redeem a people for himself. And God the Son responded willingly to the terms of the covenant. 
Philippians chapter 2 says that our beautiful Savior laid aside his glory, humbling himself to put on human flesh and die on a cross to save his elect from their sin. God the Holy Spirit then applies the benefits earned by the Son to the elect and unites them with the Son forever. With this covenant in place before the foundation of the world, God entered into another covenant with the first man, Adam. This covenant is known as the covenant of works. God created Adam, placed him in the Garden of Eden, granted him dominion over it, and gave him one simple command. Genesis 2, verses 16 and 17. The Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Adam's obedience to this covenant would secure his intimate relationship with God forever. He and his offspring would be rewarded with eternal life. But if, Abraham, if um, Adam disobeyed, he would die. Death is God's just punishment for disobedience or sin. In a catastrophic act of rebellion, Adam disobeyed God's command. Adam failed to keep his end of the covenant of works, and he fell into sin. But God's eternal covenant of redemption would not fail. Through another covenant, the covenant of grace, God promised to freely, by grace, offer sinners salvation through faith in his appointed Redeemer, Jesus Christ. This is promised in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, when God curses the serpent, saying, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, you shall bruise his heel. You hear it? Within the serpent's curse, there's grace. God prophesied that the seed of the woman, her offspring, would bruise or crush the serpent's head. The seed of the woman is Jesus Christ. The covenant of grace is unconditional. Even the faith to receive God's promised eternal life and stand firm in that faith is a gift of grace. Every bit of our salvation depends on God. Therefore, you and I can trust every one of his promises. God's enduring covenant promises prove he is trustworthy. But how can we trust him when life doesn't make sense, when evil is triumphing all around us? Meet God's servant, Noah. Noah lived in an exceedingly wicked culture. After Adam and Eve's fall into sin, generation after generation multiplied their sin until their wickedness was so great, it grieved the heart of God. Genesis chapter 6, 5 through 7 says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. 
And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them. The depths of man's depravity broke God's heart. His love had been spurned. His gift of grace had been rejected. Now, this passage does not mean that God made a mistake in creating man. We know that God doesn't make mistakes. A footnote in the Amplified Bible says that God grieved over the sin of man because it was appropriate for him to do so. God is holy, holy, holy. Sin is an affront to his holiness. In human terms, it breaks his heart. But his covenant of redemption could not be broken. God is fully trustworthy. His enduring covenant promises prove he is trustworthy. In Genesis chapter 6, verses 8 through 9, he sovereignly plucks another man out to carry his covenant promises forward. It says, but Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Now, saying that Noah was righteous presupposes a covenant with God. We can't be righteous on our own. The word blameless does not mean that Noah never sinned. We see later in his life that surely he did. But the phrase Noah walked with God means that he enjoyed an intimate relationship with God and special revelation from God. This is seen in that God told Noah he would send a flood to judge the wickedness of mankind. He instructed Noah to build an ark to save himself, his family, and representatives of the animal kingdom. God established what we call the Noahic covenant, an outworking of the covenant of grace. Faithful to his covenant of grace, God saved a remnant of creation, a very small, undeserving remnant. God later confirmed his covenant with Noah to preserve creation, promising to never again use a flood to destroy all life. Noah is a type or a picture of Christ. Just as Noah was uh, and his whole family were represented by Noah and saved by God's unconditional grace, Jesus Christ represents the whole family of God, and they are saved by God's unconditional grace. The next outworking of the covenant of grace is the unconditional covenant that God made with Abraham. Now, we've already touched a little bit on the Abrahamic covenant. And you have to remember that there was nothing in Abraham that merited God's incredible covenant promises or earned his intimate face-to-face relationship with God. God sovereignly chose Abraham because that is what he was pleased to do. That's grace. In Genesis chapter Uh, 17 verses 7 through 8, many, many years after Abram followed God out of Ur, God told a still childless Abraham, or Abram as he was called then, I will establish my covenant between 
me and you and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant to be God to you and to your offspring after you. I will give to you and your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. You hear all of the I wills again. I will establish, I will give, I will be their God. Grace upon grace is lavished on Abraham in God's I wills. Again, there are no you wills. This covenant is unconditional. Generations after Abraham died, God's covenant of grace continued, and it was extended through a covenant with a man named Moses. Known as the Mosaic Covenant, this covenant includes reminders of the covenant of works, since God blessed his people's obedience and cursed their disobedience. But these conditional provisions were set forth after God delivered and enslaved people from bondage in Egypt. Israel's exodus from Egypt proves that the Mosaic Covenant is an outworking of the covenant of grace. Nothing in the Israelites themselves merited God's grace. He chose and he loved Israel because it was his sovereign pleasure to do so. This speaks of God's electing grace. Because he chose them, they were saved. God remained faithful to the covenant that he made with Abraham, delivering his people out of slavery in Egypt. And he did so before he set his law in stone. His law was not for the salvation from sin. It was given to God's people so that they could learn how to live as his chosen people, as a holy nation set apart for his purposes. God himself led and cared for this stiff-necked, rebellious people for many years through the desert as they journeyed to the promised land. Even when his people were most undeserving, God's enduring covenant promises proved he is trustworthy. His care for his covenant people continued through many more generations Eventually, they rejected his sovereign care and leading, saying they wanted a king like all the other nations around them. So God gave them King Saul. Unlike their perfect divine King God, King Saul was a very flawed man. God eventually removed him from the throne and gave it to a shepherd boy named David. Through David, God continued to unfold his covenant of grace, expanding on the Abrahamic covenant with the Davidic covenant. God promised David his name would be made great. Through him, the nation of Israel would finally be at peace. God also promised that the house of David would endure forever and his throne would be established forever through one of David's descendants. This descendant is, of course, Jesus Christ. He is the eternally enthroned king of kings. So from generation to generation, God's covenant promises endured, all pointing to Jesus Christ, his promised redeemer. 
All the Old Testament covenants find their fulfillment in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. So our first truth is that God's covenant promises are fulfilled in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. How does the tracing of God's faithfulness to his covenant promises help you trust him more? In what impossible situation do you need to rest in God's trustworthiness? Often I struggle mightily to trust God regarding the salvation of my loved ones. I find myself ensnared in the sin of unbelief. I pray and I pray, but at times I wonder if they will ever believe. They, they seem so far away from God. Some of them are even in defiant opposition to all that I know and hold dear about God. But I do know this. I know my God is fully trustworthy. Recently, he encouraged my heart by bringing a beloved nephew to saving faith. My nephew is just as far away from God as my other loved ones. But God answered my years-long prayers for this young man. God is able. He is faithful. And he is trustworthy. He can and he will answer my prayers for all my loved ones. So keep praying, my friends. He will do the same for you and yours. Tracing God's covenant of grace in the Bible, it proves to us that he is trustworthy. It reveals how his covenant promises are fulfilled in the redeeming work of Jesus Christ. This is made even clearer in our next division, covenantal fulfillment. Centuries passed as God's people searched the horizon for God's promised Messiah to come and redeem them out of their sinful mess. Throughout the Old Testament, God's people endured ups and downs in their faithfulness to their ever-faithful covenant God. Mostly downs. Evil, corrupt kings, priests, prophets, judgment in the form of defeat by their enemies and exile into foreign lands, kingdoms torn apart, the temple of God, his dwelling place among his people, destroyed and desecrated. Was God still their God? Were they still his people? For a long, long time, consequences of their gross sin made it hard to see God's trustworthiness. But God, he faithfully sent prophet after prophet after prophet to call his people back to himself. In particular, the prophetic books of Jeremiah and Ezekiel, though they are largely filled with God's judgment against his people, they are laced with hope. In Jeremiah chapters 30 through 33, it's called the book of consolation because it speaks of the coming restoration and salvation of God's people. In these chapters, the phrase, the days are coming, appear five times. This refers to the new covenant. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34 specifically summarizes the coming of the new covenant, saying, Behold, 
The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God. And they will be my people. I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Those covenant words should stop us. In our tracks. They speak of God's enduring covenant promises being fulfilled in Jesus Christ. You and I live in an age after Jesus has come and redeemed us. By his Holy Spirit, God has put his law within us. He has written it on our hearts. He is our God and we are his people. Our iniquity has been forgiven. Our sin is remembered no more. All these covenant blessings belong to all of those who are in Christ and are received by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The new covenant connects all of God's other covenants to bring about the fulfillment of God's covenant of redemption. In the book of Ezekiel, God promises the restoration of all things in the new covenant. In Ezekiel 40 through 48, a future temple is depicted where the glory of Yahweh returns. His presence in this new temple brings complete restoration to God's people and their land. Jerusalem will be restored and named Yahweh Shammah, which means the, that Yahweh is there. Commentator Michael McKelvey says that the message of Ezekiel shows that God's ultimate purpose in redemption is that the glory of Yahweh, his very presence, dwell permanently in the midst of his people. Do you hear the drumbeat? of covenant. He will be our God and we will be his people. McKelvey continues, he says, for New Testament believers, this new covenant was inaugurated by the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. He is the presence of God in its fullness. He is the new temple of God from which living waters flow. He has poured out uh, on us the spirit of God into our hearts and he is now making us the temple of the holy spirit god sent his covenant people prophet after prophet after prophet with heart-stopping visions of judgment interlaced with the hope of the new covenant then he stopped for 400 years There was silence. That silence was broken by the birth of a baby boy in a small, insignificant town named Nazareth. God's covenant of redemption unfolded a little bit further with the birth of his promised redeemer, Jesus Christ. In him, 
The new covenant becomes the final expression of the covenant of grace. God's elect enjoy the benefits of the indwelling Holy Spirit and the forgiveness of sins. Spiritually, the old is gone and the new has been ushered in. And though we cannot see or grasp the fullness of this truth, God is our God and we are his people. We live or we should live in breathless anticipation of Christ's return and the final fulfillment of all God's covenant promises. Our second truth is that God's covenant promises will be fully fulfilled when Jesus Christ returns. Which benefits of the new covenant have you experienced as one of God's redeemed? What are you most looking forward to when Christ returns to establish his eternal kingdom? And how does the hope of Christ's return change your perspective now? And who do you know that needs that hope? Little anointed ones, trust God Lift your eyes from the sin and sorrow of this world. Anchor your souls in heaven as you live led by the Holy Spirit of God who is living in you. This is what it means to live with an eternal perspective. This world may kill your body, but it cannot kill your soul. This world may never make sense. But you and I, we weren't created to live in this world. We were created to live with God in his perfected creation. And all his people will one day, my friends, live in the new heavens and the new earth, a place where God will forever be our God and we will be his people forever and ever and ever. Amen. Praise God. That his covenant promises will be fully fulfilled when Jesus Christ returns. Rejoice that all God's covenantal workings lead us to the glorious truth that God is our God and we are his people. Has your trust in God grown as we have studied his enduring covenant promises? Has it moved from shakable to unbreakable? God's enduring covenant promises prove he is trustworthy. If your trust in him is still a little shaky, maybe this will strengthen your faith. God's covenant of redemption was established before the foundation of the world. He has always planned to redeem you as his own. In Genesis chapters 1 through 3, his eternal covenant began to unfold. He established the covenant of grace. The moment Adam and Eve, Eve's sin separated them from him. But from the book of Genesis all the way through Revelation, God's covenant promises endure. In the final book of the Bible... In the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ, we see Genesis 1 through 3 is reversed. 
John's vision opens with a stunning view of the completed redeeming work of Jesus Christ. This is followed by a judgment and defeat of that old snake, Satan. His fall is into the lake of fire and sulfur. Then God recreates the Garden of Eden, but it is even better than before. Listen for how the curse is lifted in Revelation 22, 1 through 5. It says, Then the angel showed me a river with the water of life, clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. It flowed down the center of the main street. On each side of the river grew a tree of life. No longer will there be a curse upon anything, for the throne of God and of the Lamb will be there, and His servants will worship Him, and they will see His face, and His name will be written on their foreheads, and there will be no more night there. No need for lamps or sun, for the Lord God will shine on them, and they will reign forever and ever. Do you see it? Can you hear it? Finally, the dwelling place of God is with man. They are his people and God himself is with them as their God. The covenant of redemption fully realized through God's enduring covenant promises. My friends, this proves God is trustworthy. All his covenant promises are indisputably certain. Do you trust him? Is your trust shakable or unbreakable? Please pray with me. Oh, Father God, you are fully trustworthy. Holy Spirit, you seal and you anoint your people, marking them as a treasured possession. And Lord Jesus, you are the bright morning star. Those who know your name have experienced your precious mercy. Their confident trust is in you. Oh God, I pray that you will root our hearts in your faithfulness. Anchor our souls in heaven and fix our eyes on the day when you will dwell with us in that eternal place where you will be our God. And we will be your people forever and ever. This we ask in the perfect and powerful name of Jesus, who is the Christ. Amen.